Welcome to another episode of Off the Menu. I'm your host, Vincent Franchini from Tumblr House, here with a recalled Charles Coulomb. Recalled? You mean I've been, I'm being sent back to the factory? Yep, yep. Huh. Well, which which factory have, have called me to be pulled off the shelves? Which factory? No, uh, which company? Oh, which company? YouTube. YouTube. Oh, that. You're referring to our punishment. Yeah, we got a strike. Uh, we were notified this week that we put out misinformation from an episode ah. that that aired, what is it, I guess a little bit after January 6, 2021, and we were opining about various things, the quote-unquote insurrection and the election and... Uh, Okay, so I see. So we're not allowed to speak about uh, January 6th. Uh, Is there anything else that we're not allowed to speak about? Vaccines. Vaccines. Okay. Uh, Regarding safety, efficacy, a lot of that. Yep. All right. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, from now on, in accordance with our masters, having told us what we can say and what we can't say, and embracing fully their rulership, their ownership, and their mastery over us there at YouTube. Um, from now on, we will not speak ever again about vaccinations or about January 6th, except in, the, in relation to the epiphany. And but, voter fraud in the election. Ah, yes. We won't talk about voter fraud. We won't talk about the mostly peaceful demonstration at, uh, at the uh, uh, Capitol or the mostly peaceful demonstrations uh, or the insurrections in 2020. Okay. And I'm sure that will make them happy and they'll give us a pat on the head. Do you think that we'll get dog biscuits too? <laughs> I don't think so. What? You mean I've got to go through this 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 uh, uh, bondage and discipline, uh, dominance and submission thing? And I don't even get a milk bone out of it. I'm sorry. No, it's just you get to live. Well, that's right. Okay, I, I I know that. All right. Well, from now on, if anyone's listening there at YouTube, if you tell me to bark like a dog, guess what? <laughs> so, and one thing I would ask you, all all our friends at YouTube. And actually, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to write into YouTube and ask them for this, we humbly request from our owners a list of forbidden topics so we don't get punished again. We didn't realize we were bad. We're sorry we were bad. And we don't want our masters to hit us again. We want to avoid being spanked. But in order to avoid being spanked by our masters, we need a list of We'll adjust ourselves accordingly. But with full transparency, ladies and gentlemen, we'll let you know precisely what the forbidden topics are. Yeah, it's not forbidden topics. You can talk about a topic. You just need to say the right things. You no, 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 they're forbidden. They're forbidden. <laughs> okay, never mind then. You're right. See, we'll see, it's a shifting. It's always a shifting ground. Because what they're saying, like, 
right now, for instance, they're talking about vaccines, but the story in the mainstream media about vaccines is quite different from what it was two years ago. Now, it's beyond, I think, the abilities of Tumblr House to keep its finger constantly in the air and know which way the wind is blowing. So it's better to simply accept these as forbidden topics that good subjects are not allowed to talk about. In the name of free speech, of course. That's actually very true and wise. All right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember, democracy may die in darkness, but it lives in despair. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, well, a, that's a good line. You have nothing to lose but your chains. Get nicer ones. Nothing. Wow. I like my chains lined with velvet and fur. Not that burlap and cellophane. Yeah, you, you have a lot of really good lines today, Charles. It's right up there with uh, sanity is something you do to other people. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That was something <laughs> I said before the show. Sanity <laughs> is something you do to other people. It's very true. It's very true. Why should you be stuck with it? Sanity is something you do to other people. Oh, 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 I see. I've got to make sense all of a sudden. Well, you know what? No. No, 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 no. I, I accept the world as what it is. I will not impose sanity upon myself. Okay. Good to hear it, Charles. Well, I mean, look, how do you reconcile the fact that we're all free as we're constantly being told, but we've got to watch over our shoulders constantly? How do you reconcile that? Well, if you're a sane person, you'll try to make sense out of it. You see how stupid that is? But if you, if, if you don't impose sanity on yourself, you can accept all these things at face value. Hmm. Doublethink goes from being crazy to being your standard operating procedure. Wow. I'll put this another way. Do you remember the Star Trek episode where uh, Kirk and the gang found themselves trapped on a planet filled with androids run by the illustrious Harvey Mudd? No. Well, the way Spock was able to completely destroy the androids mentally, turn them off, basically, because they would overload if their logic circuits were overloaded. He said, I always lie. Well, you see the problem with that logic. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's some sort of circular processing problem. Of course, because if he always lies, it's but but he told the truth. It's like so divide he, by zero or something. I don't exactly know. right. Exactly right. <laughs> now, for a sane person, that would that would be an issue. But if you stop forcing yourself into sanity, you could just accept that in face value and say, "Oh, okay." See? Don't you feel better now? I just feel confused. <sighs> Confusion is the guardian of truth. Let's try this again. Okay. All right. Let's let's try this another. All right. One. Yeah, the beings will continue until morale improves. I got it, Charles. Precisely. Exactly. Exactly. Now you're 
getting that. Okay? Freedom of speech is too precious to be entrusted to any single individual, but has to be exercised responsibly on your behalf by your masters. In this case, you too. Okay, I'm following. Yes. All right. So, you let's say YouTube uh, declares that something is true today, but says the opposite in a week. Now, if you were a foolish person, you would say, oh, they're contradicting themselves, and they're arbitrary, dishonest, annoying, and hypocritical, which can't be true because they're our owners. So, instead, you say, oh, okay, well, that was true then, and now it's not, or vice versa. Whatever our masters say is, in fact, the truth at that moment. And if it changes completely, well, then the truth changed with them, you see? Or to put this another way, it's not the content of what you believe, it's the context. Or to yet express it differently again, it's not what you believe, it's at whose order you believe it. You understand now? So can I be at whose order you believe it? Okay, right. so words, it, it doesn't matter what ideas I have as long as my ideas are given to me by the right people. Or at the very least approved. Okay. Yeah. Feel better now? I don't know. I have to think about things. Don't! That's a big mistake. That's, that is a verb you want to excise from your head, the whole T word. No more of that. You, the, only, the only verb you require in this context is to accept. Okay, I accept. Ah. Your body is growing in the next room. <laughs> That's creepy. What? <laughs> creepy? I'm embracing the people whose technological prowess make it possible for us to communicate with our audience, and you call it creepy. You said my body is growing in this in the next room? I didn't say that. What did you say? I didn't say that. You just said that. No, I didn't. Are you all right? You seem very confused right now. You're not thinking bad thoughts, are you? Thought crime is terrible. Are you thinking thought crime? You're going to have to hire a precog to get that one, buddy. <laughs> That's a minority report reference. I'm a, re yeah, I'm a recog, as you know. Precog. Pre I'm pre a recog. Precog. You're... Precognitive. I get, I get it. You're a retrocog. Well, I, I have been retooled since my recall. I have been redesigned by my masters at YouTube. You're like... I don't know. You're, you're... I'm incapable of thinking separately from them now. <laughs> wow, that's a scary thought. Okay. Why? Why is it a scary thought when they can only think good thoughts? Okay, you're you're one of the Borg now. Your body is waiting in the next room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've 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 taken the uh, the. Uh, red pill 
or the blue pill, which is it? The... You, you've taken the blue pill. Red yeah, pill is the... good. The gritty oh, hard yeah. truth. Blue pill is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking the blue pill. In fact, I'm eating the black candy right now. <laughs> wow, you better. Yeah, so I feel a lot better. I feel great. And I, I really want to thank YouTube for liberating me from my uh, delusions. You, you're you're basically um, your cipher in the Matrix right now. You're literally um, uh, Tom Pantoliano's character, where you know he he says, "You know what? I know this steak isn't real." I know there are just a bunch of electricity going through my brain that tells me it's real. But you know what? Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> and he's, that's right. That That's basically you. That's right. <laughs> you, you want, okay, blue pill for life. <laughs> exactly. Blue pill for life. That's why sanity is something you impose on others. It's not for, for personal consumption. Where's that blue pill again? I'm running low. <laughs> I can always tell when I'm running low because I begin to feel insecure. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to pop a few more. Wow. Um, you feeling better now? Feeling great. Good. Um, you should now that everything's good now. Good. Uh, okay. So now that everything is good and wonderful, um, and there's peace that reigns throughout the world. I guess we don't need to do the show anymore, right? I mean, because it's like, what is there Actually, to say? We are living in the best of all possible worlds. We certainly are. But if we <laughs> if I stopped getting paid, it would, it would immediately stop being the best of all possible worlds. Oh. And that blue pill would turn red immediately oh. or black. All right. You, you know, you realize that only, only money can prevent me from being based right now. Okay. And I can't be based because if I were, our masters would shut us down. That's right. So what are you going to do? I'll keep going on as I am now. 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 <laughs> okay, great. Um... I, well, well, look, you're, you're sounding confused. I think you're, you just need to accept the fact that we're allowed to say whatever we'd like to say so long as we're allowed to say it. That Yes, I'm following. Okay. All right. So there are a lot of topics they haven't yet forbidden for us, us to speak about. Okay. Bunnies, for instance. Do you like bunnies? Yes. How about Christmas elves? Yes. Do you like bright red and blue wrapping paper? Uh, bright red and green. I see. Pine tree spruce or uh, or uh, magnolia for Christmas tree. I'm not educated enough to make that sort of decision. Fruitcake or potato chips for our. Uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas dinner, dessert. Uh, what? Fruitcake or potato chips for Christmas dinner? What? 
dessert. That's a, that's a horrible choice. Okay. What's your choice? Uh, it's I'm not given one. <laughs> I take I take whatever YouTube gives me for my Christmas dinner dessert. I don't know what they're going to do. No, you're so. If they give me a can of tuna, I'll be grateful. All right, in your bathtub, what is that? Is there a carp, or is there a leopard? I I don't like these choices. I don't. You're. This... All right, forget all of it. Who would you rather have come to your house on Christmas Eve? Santa Claus, the Christ Child, Father Christmas, or Bafana? Bafana, the Italian folk witch? Yeah, she actually she gives gifts on the epiphany, but she'll make an exception for you because you're out of town. Bafana. Just to, just to trigger everyone, just to trigger literally everyone listening, because I'm so frustrated that I'm stuck in this conversation, and you're just beating me over the head with insanity. I'm not beating you over the head with insanity. I'm beating you over the head with acceptance. No, you're not. You are not accepting my choices. You're dictating very rigid possibilities for my life. I'm accepting the choices of our masters which is more important than your choices or my choices put together. I don't think our masters are mandating carp in the bathtub. They should. <laughs> in fact, when we finish the show this evening, I may send YouTube a memorandum on carp in the bathtub and what we should do about it. I'll ask them what, what their advice is. So you're part of it. Dear YouTube, what should we do about carp in the bathtub? Please advise. I don't want to be struck again. Yours faithfully. What if they decide that the existence of carp is actually uh, misinformation? Yeah, you know, I you know how they do that info panel thing for some of these topics they're sensitive about. I, I, I hope they do an info panel for our episodes where you're talking about the carp in the bathtub, and they give an info panel on that. I think that'd be perfect. I, I want to know if we're going to be allowed to speak about carp in the bathtub anymore. And not just at Christmas. What do they forbid us to speak about it at Easter? See, these are these kinds of issues that agitate my soul. Charles, I find myself making the mental decision right now to just simply shut down and let you run out of steam. Because I am on... Uh, you're. I'm on tilt right now. Okay, you're on tilt. It, it's okay. You don't need to try to help me. It, no, 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 we, no. no. This, <laughs> you, you don't need to try I, to help I have not me. Yet begun to help. <laughs> you, this is what we call weaponizing assistance. <laughs> We're here to help you. It's all right, Vinny. You'll lose the desire to think. <sighs> Look, I'm just doing for you what our masters are doing for all of us. Why should this be a problem? <laughs> now don't you feel better? No, I feel... Yes, you know what? I feel better, Charles. Oh, that's <laughs> See? Now you're blue pill too. This is great. 
This is wonderful. Thank you. Yes. You see, don't you feel better? I feel amazing. Oh, I unbelievable. Wow. Now you've been recalled as well. <laughs> All right. I feel great. But before we move on to uh, move on uh, entirely out of this on Saturday, there are a couple of things I do have to mention uh, that even YouTube won't care about. What is uh, my operation is actually going to be on December twenty second. That's uh, that has not as yet been striked, struck, stricted by YouTube. We can still talk about my operation because I won't be getting a vaccine or not getting one. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The operation has nothing to do with the vaccine, right? It also has nothing to do with the events of January sixth. Not explicitly. No, no. It's a completely separate, different thing that has nothing to do with those areas. Now, whether or not they're concerned about surgery in general, uh, I would again ask them to let us know what we're allowed to speak about or not. But in lieu of further guidance, I can only say that it'll be December 22nd, so please pray for me. It's the day after the Feast of St. Thomas. We've had the Rorate Masses here in Central Europe, which are really beautiful if you don't know what they are. Uh, mass is very early in the morning in the dark, candlelit. It's very beautiful. And the Filipino and Latin American folk will be doing the same thing with their Mises de Gallo and their Simbangabi. Uh, read your Washington Irving and Old Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. Readily available on uh, Arch- Internet Archive. It'll help you get in the mood for Christmas. And you know what else? Is very Christmassy. What? Can you dig it? H.P. Lovecraft's poem, Old Christmas. It's a very Christmassy poem. Great. Wonderful. You, you wouldn't think, it's got nothing to do with Cthulhu or, or, or great old ones or weird stuff coming in from outside. It's just a description of Christmas in the time of Queen Anne. Awesome. So, let's see. I guess that's about all we got on my end. Uh, do we have any memes of production? No memes. No memes. Uh, a couple comments. Let's get to some fun comments. Um, Domestic Coffee Man Bill says, Tequila and Ovaltine? Is that the latest TikTok challenge endangering today's youth? Ooh. Okay. That sounds disgusting. Sure. Uh, and Connor says, I'm ordering a Charles Coulomb when I go for drinks next. And I expect the bartender to ask, ah, I haven't made a Charlie C. That's bar lingo for the drink, just so you know. In ages. Do you want your Ovaltine shaken or stirred? Definitely get it stirred, and around here you can get it Chicago style with a shot of Marlot or excuse Malort mixed in too. Perfect holiday drink. Which holiday? Halloween, maybe. <laughs> yes, uh, we love those good old fashioned Charles Coulombs with a tequila and Ovaltine. I, I I'd rather <laughs> if you're gonna name a cocktail after me, not that. <laughs> I don't know why you kept pushing tequila and Ovaltine last show. Uh, that was you, and you got bit, and now that's your legacy. Me? Congratulations. I would never have done that. That was all on you. 
Well, that's nice. You can you can squirm all you want, Charles, but the history books are going to write you it. They're going to discard all your your based books and lectures and stuff. Your name will live on forever as the drink tequila in Oval Team. All and right, fine. <laughs> but you know what that you know what is best eaten with that drink? What it goes accompanies best? Oh, I can tell you right now, aspic clearly. I would have thought Cincinnati chili, but never mind. Since that, well, that's actually true. Since we both have chili. chocolate in them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, see, but yeah, okay. So, um, all right, fine. Do we have a, a state of uh, a state of the week? Uh, one more thing. One more thing before oh. state of the week. In response, uh, so uh, we talked about the pre uh, in the last week's pre-show, the Canticle for Leibowitz yes. uh, book. Um and um it's available in the Tumble House bookstore. But anyway, Eric says um in regard to that, he, he says free shipping? That's amazing. I do hope COD is available. Um no, I'm sorry. No COD. Sorry, no COD is Eric. H- handling is thrown in for free alongside the shipping. Batteries aren't included. Some assembly required. Be the first on your block. Act now while supplies last. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. I am ready to proceed with State of the Week. Are you ready, Charles? I are ready. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do we know if the State of the Week feature is permitted by YouTube? We're just going to have to chance it. We're just going to have to cross our fingers on this one. All right, because I, I I don't want to be shut down over you know this, but all right, all right if, look if you're willing to if you're willing to chance it, I'll chance it. How's that? Good. State of the week is Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma, where the sun goes. Well, Oklahoma is a uh, an interesting state. I've only been through a few of its cities. Uh, sadly, I've driven through it a number of times, but what I can recall, the extreme northeast of the state has a uh, a concentration of little tribes, because you see uh, Oklahoma was the Indian Territory, has uh, a concentration of little tribes that uh, were from the east and were basically dumped out there, Delaware, Iroquois, Illinois, several different tribes, Peoria. Uh, and then scattered elsewhere, the Kickapoo, the Sack and Fox, and so on. But the um, the five civilized tribes, the, Chick- the Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, Seminole, and Cherokee, all have their national capitals, which are worth seeing. Uh, there is in northeastern Oklahoma a, a sort of temple in honor of Will Rogers, a big, a big monument memorial to Will Rogers, which is also worth seeing. Tulsa has a lot of Art Deco architecture, a um, lot of oil, lovely place. And then um, Oklahoma City has an interesting cathedral, and it's got the Skirvin Hotel, which is an old, uh, an old grand hotel that all the big bands used to play at, and all that. It's very, very nice. Beyond that, ladies and gentlemen, 
beyond the Indians and uh, those few things, I don't know, know Oklahoma all that well, frankly. I've just, for the most part, driven through it as quickly as I could or overnighted briefly. Um, but for Indian lore, for tales of the Old West, go to Oklahoma. You know, whenever I think of Oklahoma, I always think of sort of the panhandle part of it. I don't know anything about Oklahoma, but I always wonder what it's like to live like on the edge of that panhandle and like you're surrounded by everything and you don't really have kind of disconnected from the rest of your state, kind of. Well, their, their interests are kind of narrow. Oh, I see what she <laughs> did there. But yeah, I mean, you're surrounded by Kansas, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. And you're just kind of, I don't know. It's just so interesting. Like, how did that happen? Like, how did the map makers decide, you know what? Oklahoma needs that handle right there. Nothing well, it else was, will do. It was part of Texas at one point, but they sliced it off and added it to Oklahoma. And just so you know, Oklahoma City was not the first capital of Oklahoma. It was Guthrie. And I'm not, I had promised myself I wasn't going to mention the Lion King. With regards to Oklahoma? Yeah, because his uh, wildlife uh, preserve and his strange lifestyle were all in, uh, all in Oklahoma. Wait, you said the Lion King? Yeah, I don't, I don't mean the cartoon or the Disney thing. This was a fellow who had a, uh, it was a very strange guy who had a, uh, a wildlife preserve in uh, Oklahoma, carried on a running gun battle with another wildlife person, was accused of uh, plotting her murder, uh, and ended up in prison. It's, uh, Netflix ran a bizarre documentary about it. And a friend of mine from Oklahoma persuaded me to watch the whole thing with him, which I did. All right, let us start. You're 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 freaking me out right now. Okay. Oh, was was I freaking you out? Yeah. Uh, Would you like another blue pill? No, I'm I'm good for now. I've Uh, just had three. They really help a lot if you you know make sure you have them every ten minutes. You got to calm down on that. That's going to give you cancer, Charles. All right. Um, no. Well, if it does, I won't notice. <laughs> well, okay. Then keep it up. Then great work. Um, <laughs> that's thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks very much indeed, boss. I appreciate it. You know, it's that kind of concern. <laughs> That's that's the the, the Tumblr House medical program. Have a blue pill and forget about it. <laughs> but it's throbbing in pain. No, it's all right. Just take this. You'll be fine. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see the uh, did you see that uh, that video? Uh, did you see the video on Chief Clancy's uncle back in Ireland? I oh, was it in Ireland? I thought he was in America. I thought it was like America's toughest Irish. Maybe. Um... No, but, no, he was at, he was in the old sod. He was in the Garda. Yeah, I saw. Man, really, those two really look similar. Um, well, I think <laughs> oh, well, Brannigan. Oh, well, you know, Brannigan That's was right. his name. Brannigan yeah. was his name. You know, he he kept honor in his part of Dublin. Didn't he trust though? <laughs> he told the working girls, you know, all right, ladies, you can go home. You can come with me. 
<laughs> they all went home. Wow. That's called policing the streets, keeping them safe. You know, you're not afraid to walk down Huntington, uh, Huntington Drive at midnight now. You know you're safe. I was never scared to walk down Huntington Drive at midnight. But especially not now. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't drive down Huntington Drive at midnight, but I don't mind walking. Yeah, I wouldn't. Are you sure you haven't? Are you sure you haven't been drinking, Boyle? That's exactly why I wouldn't drive. Yeah, you're gonna get got if you have been drinking and you drive down Huntington Drive. Clancy will get you. Um, oh yeah, even if you haven't been drinking, you'll get you. Exactly. You're just now breathe, breathe into this breathalyzer here. But but officer, it's it's what's that attachment on the other side? Oh, don't you worry about that. It's just making insurance more accurate. Yeah, but it's it's hooked up to a whiskey bottle. Don't worry about that. I'll just breathe into it. <laughs> All right. Uh, questions. He always gets his man. <laughs> All right. Questions. We have an excellent question from Mary Beth. Uh, thank you for sending this in. Uh, she says, hello, Charles and Vinny. The question for you both. But first, I wanted to quote the opening paragraph in Ernst Younger's novel on the cliffs it begins quote you all know the wild grief that besets us when we remember times of happiness how far beyond recall they are and we are severed from them by something more pitiless than leagues and miles end quote my question for you both is which do you find to be more difficult to contend with memories of happy times or memories of bad times it's not always a one or the other kind of answer. So any of your thoughts on this topic in general are appreciated. God bless you both, and we are happy our rosaries were answered with Charles's recovery. Mm. Thank you, but don't let go of them yet, because mm. I've got to go back under the knife on December 22nd, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, well, for my part, uh, you know, the, the good memories by far outweigh the bad ones. And of course, uh, I'm grateful for the good times, but I'm grateful the bad ones are over. Uh, although, to be honest with you, I don't really remember bad times as well as I remember good ones. Yeah, you know, um, with the passing of my dad in January 2020, it... And then obviously having, gosh, I guess it's going to be coming up on three years already somehow. Um, yep. yep. I don't know how that happened. But, um, uh, you know, one of the things that hit me is that, you know, when people you love pass away, you idealize. Uh, and those memories, at least for me, are all the good memories. And it's you sort of idealize their life. I'm, um, you know, like I find myself s stepping back sometimes and saying, whoa, you know, there was a lot of peccadillos in there, a lot of all this and that, but there, that kind of stuff sort of gets washed away. You know what I mean? And like the lasting stuff that, that obviously my dad did is, is all the great stuff, right? That's the stuff yeah. that sticks with you. 
Um, and so in a sense that that's super potent, like Charles had given me advice previously. He said, you know, cause like when my dad had just passed, he's like, dude, Vinny, you're, um, you're just going to be doing random stuff. You're going to be doing the coffee and you know, stuff's going to happen and you're going to start crying. Um, oops. Oh, sorry. Uh, what was the last thing you heard? Uh, you're going to start crying. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you're going to start crying. And, you know, just accept it. I mean, this is what happens. And sure enough, I did that, right? Like, it's small things, right? Like, I would make the coffee, and you, the memory hits you. Oh, Dad always loved my coffee. Really had a special, you know, something like that. Or avocados. Dad would always give people avocados because, you know, it gave him such joy to do that. Um so stuff like that. Um, I noticed with bad memories, for me, um, I don't have any bad memories if the thing itself sort of is like like past, like it's gone. But like if there's like bad memories that are tar- attached to perhaps an ongoing person that's giving me a lot of grief and a lot of problems, a lot of headache, um, that will be that will rise to the fore. I actually have to fight sort of, you know, the restlessness and other stuff of these past injuries, if you will. Um, so that's the only context in which I have, to, it, I feel like it's a spiritual battle um, against that. I, you know, cause like I, I don't have any bad memories of my, I mean, I guess I have bad memories of my dad perhaps once or a couple, but it, they're not, I mean, they're just hidden in the background, kind of, you know? Well, they're, they're outweighed by the good. And I mean, too, <clears throat> for instance, when I think back to college, you know, there were terrible things that happened when I was in college, but that's not what first comes to my mind. What comes to my mind were the good times I had there, both at Nimi and at uh, Cal State Northridge. Um it's just the way it is. You know, I, I when I think even of, of COVID, in the past two years, I was locked down here. What's the first thing I think of? Not the inconvenience of being trapped, but the benefits I had while I was here. And I think that, um, I think that for the most of us, the good times, the good memories are what come to the fore and the, hard, and the bad ones they kind of well, I mean, that's what nostalgia is based on. You know, you're not nostalgic uh, when you're nostalgic for your childhood. You're not nostalgic for being small and uh, under the control of your of grownups. That's not your first thought. I mean, if, if you gave some time and you really wanted to tease it out, you'd say, "Oh, yeah, well, you know, I had to do what I was told and so forth." But isn't it interesting that adults always associate childhood with freedom? just the way children associate adulthood with freedom. I guess that's true. I, it's not, that's not as, I don't know if my mind goes there. I mean, to some extent, right? But, um, well, I mean, haven't you ever thought to yourself, you look back and say, boy, back then I didn't have to worry about this, that, and the other. You know, it, it's, it's honestly different with me, Charles, because I was a really nervous kid. So, like, I'm in a prison there. And honestly, like, right now, 
I, I'm at the height of my powers, so it's like a different situation. Um, well, I, no, I, I I can see that, but you know, I, I enjoyed my uh, my childhood. I uh, but then how couldn't I in the house of Criswell? Of course, of course, it would be impossible not to. Yeah. Also, though, I'd, I'd be careful if I were you because, you know, you don't want to admit to having had an, any unhappiness in your childhood because if you admit to that, then you might be punished. By YouTube? There's yes. no there's no unhappiness in paradise. I'm sorry. There we go. Did, That's the ticket. Did you see that movie? That was an interesting movie. It was um, uh, Tom Hardy and... Um, it was, I think it's called Child 44. He was a detective in Soviet Russia. And he had a weird problem because there can be no murder in paradise. So That's his job as so his job as a detective under that like level of propaganda was weird. Like there it was it, it was an independently done movie, I think. But um apparently so that was really a thing in Soviet Russia. That was you didn't so have like uh, detectives that it was kind of like having a show on YouTube. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So I hope he realized that there that there hadn't been a murder after all. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, they they had a wonderful saying in the Soviet Union. It was we pretend to work and they pretend to pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. Okay, next question. All right. Um, Mason says, um, if there's a debate from an earlier episode on Faulkner versus Hemingway, I wonder if Charles has an opinion on a lesser known but great author – J.K. Huisma, who wrote uh, who wrote on a bit on the decline of the French gentry in Against Nature. Huh. Well, yeah, he uh, he was quite a wild one, uh, Huisma, Jean-Carl Huisma, who, uh, as you can guess from the name, was actually of Flemish descent, although he wrote in French. He wrote a whole series uh, Against Nature in French was called Arbor. Uh, and it started out as a very scandalous character, Desensent, who um, basically was explored all of the weird and bizarre passions and uh, physical attractions. But in his next book, he has a different character whose name escapes me. Or maybe it was Desensent. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, called Labat, or Down There. Wherein that character turns to black magic and the occult. But he converts. And the rest of the books are his becoming ever more Catholic. And he ends up in a monastery. The book called Le Blah, the Oblate. That was the last of the series. Well, Huismal reflected. Um, Certainly in his work, and perhaps to a degree in his life, the so-called decadence of the uh, late French 19th century literature. Um, initially, writing to shock, and then gradually coming to the faith, first realizing that, A, the natural world has its limits, and 
there must be and in fact is or are things beyond it. Then coming to realize that it's not simply enough to accept the unseen, but that one has to accept the faith. And then slowly but surely orienting one's life into the uh, requirements of the faith. So that was Fusemont's achievement. But uh, getting there went through some weird stuff, both literally and I presume in his own life. So you're thinking his work sort of mirrored where he was in his life and it wasn't sort of a, a linear, like it wasn't planned out in a linear way. Like, oh, happy ending, Catholic faith, of course. No. Interesting. No. I think it. I think it to a degree mirrored his own uh, his own uh, uh, odyssey, if you will. Hmm. Certainly, when he wrote Arabur, I, I can't believe that he intended to have the thing end as it did, and certainly that's not where he was then. Interesting. Okay. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions from Vonday Radio. Ah, okay. Let's let's see if I can answer them. All right. For the first one, he says, uh, Dear Charles, please could you tell us about Dr. Robert Hickson, his life and his contribution to Catholic thought and culture? Well, Dr. Hickson is an interesting gentleman whom I've had the privilege of knowing for many years. Uh, graduate of the uh, Naval Academy. He had a lot to do with the government and intelligence and things like that. Uh he firmly grounded in Thomist philosophy and has been a fighter for Catholic tradition for decades. Uh, he is uh, quite a rigorous thinker, I'll say that. And I had the uh, the honor of contributing to a feshrift in his honor. He certainly, his own intellectual journey mirrored the period he lived through. Uh, if you looked at him, he he sort of radiates the early 1960s, you know, the pre-hippie era. And of course, he lived through both his church and his state, i.e. the United States, becoming just utterly crazy and became uh, all the more convinced of the truth of the Catholic faith and for that matter, of the truth of her social teachings, of the kingship of Christ and things like that. So, there you go. I had not come across that name before, but um, I'm seeing him in interesting places. Um, he's doing all right, right? He had a heart attack, apparently, in 2017, yeah. going to some of these sources. Um, interesting. All right. Uh, right, for Vonday's Radio's next question, he says, Dear Charles and Don Vincenzo, since nostalgia is such a salient and important theme on Off the Menu and in life, please, could you each share with us your top five most nostalgic films? Oof. Oh, well, see, there are two ways you can look at that. Uh, one is films that explore nostalgia, or two films that make me personally feel nostalgic. So which way do you want to handle it? Or both? I feel like 
I feel like we can open it up a little bit because I feel like there are movies worth noting, like before my lifetime, that sort of almost, I, I don't know if it's fair to say nostalgic. Can you be nostalgic for a thing that you've not even experienced? You sure can. Okay. There's a particular word for it. I don't remember what it is. Right? Like, so, like, for example, for like, the Middle Ages or Victoria or whatever. Like for for old timey America, for like heart bursting, proud to be an American type nostalgia, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it's Yankee Doodle Dandy and uh, Stalag Seventeen, where it's like oh, yeah. the, those movies end, and it's like like my heart is going to burst because it so makes you feel solid. And we don't, we can't even come close to hitting that note nowadays. You know what I mean? True. Like, I do. like not even. We're five times removed from that. So, it's things like that, like patriotism. You know. Um, oh. So I would say those are two big ones in that vein for me. Um, what about, what about you, Charles? You 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 could do five. Do you have five. three more? I mean, you know, in terms of my childhood, um, I mean, I, I would say I have one main movie and I've harped about it a lot. I mean, uh, what makes me nostalgic, because uh, what I, I watched more television than movies uh, as a child. So, um, you know, really for me, it's like Nickelodeon, like cartoons and stuff like that. Um, but um, because one of the unique aspects of, I feel like, my age group, perhaps not even not all the millennials, but my specific like age range a little bit is that we have this special like our childhood is very is is especially special because it is the only part of our lives which are pre-internet. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's like we have this we have this special zone where it's like yeah. the first you know, eight, 10, 14 years of our lives, like there's no internet. So it's like totally different. And then the internet happens and then it's like, it's almost like, okay, time to grow up now. There's technology and other stuff and you're in this completely different uh, path. So where my age group is especially nostalgic over our childhood for that reason. Um, But the big movie for me, um, I'm sorry for repeating, but it has to be Home Alone because I, I was like the perfect age group. For, I was, I think I was like six or something at the time or five. And I saw it like several times, two or three times in the movies. And it just, you know, it represents that, again, that pre-internet uh, age, you know, thing. And it, 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 pre-internet age sort of like childhood fantasy. Like if there were no rules, if there are no barriers, if there are no parents, and you could do whatever you want. If you could stay up all night and eat all the ice cream and make yourself mac and cheese and finally get that gun and shoot like whatever you wanted to shoot. And like, you know, no restrictions on television, um, you know, uh, and so. But the moral of that story is so powerful, too. I, I kind of half jokingly say it's like the greatest moral tale of uh, of our time because it's the tale that the 
the message, the moral message of the of the movie is you're not happy. You're very lonely and unsatisfied when you get everything you want. And there's no restrictions and you just have everything delivered to you. And it's like, okay, now what? You know, you get satisfaction in uh, doing things like going to church, right? Like Kevin McAllister, to their credit, back in the day, he actually went to church, um, getting strong, protecting the family, having that sense of purpose. Um, We've totally lost that. Um, So that's, that's the biggest one for me, Home Alone. Well, for me, I would say the five would be Metropolitan. I got to see that movie. I really do. Well, it's a good film. Uh, I would say the 1937 Prisoner of Zenda. I would say a movie called Curtain Call about with... uh, uh, oh gosh, the actress who plays uh, Maggie Smith. Dutch- yes, Maggie Smith and uh, Michael Caine as ghosts from my parents' period haunting the present. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which reminds me a lot of my folks. Not that they were like the, that couple, but nevertheless, L.A. Confidential. And last but not leastly, Peggy Sue got married. I don't. I, I don't think you've said that last one before. Is that is no. that sort of the thing where it's like, oh, Peggy Sue, the prom queen, when she gets married, that's the end of childhood? Is it like that? Kind of, except she goes back in time. <laughs> oh, okay. And well, see, it's her twenty-five year and her twenty-five year reunion. In 1985, and she's breaking up with her husband, who was her high school sweetheart. They got married because she was pregnant, and she uh, faints at the reunion. She's in her prom dress, which she can still fit into. Uh, so she uh, she faints at the reunion, and she wakes up back in high school in 1960. And the question is, would she marry him again? Would she do it all again? And it's it's uh, there's a, a particularly poignant scene where she goes to visit her grandparents, who of course are long since dead, and she tells them what's happened that she's gone back in time and all, and they believe her, and they offer some advice, which is it's a very very poignant scene, I, I have to say. Hmm. Peggy Sue got married. Did she ever? Hmm. But there are a lot of other uh, other films that make me nostalgic as well. I could go on and on in that area. Julie and Julia. Hmm. Okay. And uh, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Right. Yeah, obviously. Well, the, you know, uh, I mean, Christmas Story, right? Like, I, I think we have very differing opinions on Christmas Story. Um, I don't dislike Christmas Story. I, I feel like it hits all the notes of a secular Christmas. You know what I mean? Like in terms, no, like that it, it does. Like it hits every single one, right? Like, um, like Santa not being what you thought it would be. Um, sort of a, you know, the ruined Christmas at the Chinese restaurant. 
um, all these sort of that, things, the big, the big present, the big one that you've been like, just can't get over. Um, which I can remember, you know, in my own childhood. Everybody has that one. Everybody has, in my opinion, that one year where it's this big present. I'm just dying to get it, and I have to get it. And I feel like that story, that movie captures it just in spades, honestly. Um, oh. uh, that's why they play it 24 hours on Christmas, I think, on TBS every Christmas now. Because everyone's just watching it. Um yeah, that's a good one. Uh, uh, for my generation too, it's not as big as me, but I can understand it. The Sandlot, um, just a bunch of kids playing baseball in the backyard and doing some shenanigans. Um, kind of an innocent movie. Um, that was a good one. Well, I could add the Thin Man. Well, that goes without saying for those who know you. Well. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, somehow, wouldn't life be better if things were interesting and amusing rather than stupid and dull? <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? That would be good, Charles. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, uh, have our have masters at, at, at YouTube punished me for that? I'm sorry I said that. I, I apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Everything's wonderful. You couldn't be better. <laughs> don't, don't hurt me. I didn't mean it. Okay. Am I all right? I, I, as I mean, as I long mean, you know, all, all all YouTube asks for is remorse. So you're oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 whatever it was, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, perfect. I, whatever I'm guilty of, I, 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 I I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, excellent. Is that better for you too? Yes. Dominance and submission. It's actually super inspiring for YouTube to sort of have that effect on you. If only I could do that. All right. Well, it'd have to be YouTube. <laughs> All right. Um,. Vonde Radio with another interesting question. He says, Dear Is it about YouTube? I can't answer questions about YouTube. Well, it's on the culture, and it's questioning American oh, culture, uh -oh. so we might very well get uh, flagged for it. What does he say? All right. He says, please, can you explain the strange dynamics of American tipping culture? I heard that it has become much more exaggerated in recent years, but how did good. how how did it originate? Anything to do with that Puritan spirit? How no, it, no. How is it so different from everywhere else? It's wonderful because every place else is wrong, and 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 we're right. Don't hurt me. Okay. Well, if you give me a guarantee of safety, I'll talk. We guarantee, I can guarantee your safety, yes. So they won't hurt me again. They will not hurt you again. Okay. Okay. If I feel that cattle prod, it'll be your fault. Okay. All right. Basically, there is kind of a difference of approach. You'll notice that in French, the word for tip is pour boire, for to drink. And in German, it's trinket. 
drink money. Uh, the idea being that you give the waiter or waitress a bit of extra dough to enjoy themselves with. In America, it's a little bit different because the waiters and waitresses are actually taxed. Their incomes are taxed on the supposition that they're getting 15% in tips. So if you pay less than 15%, they're actually losing money on you. And if you really want to uh, show them appreciation, you've got to pay more than 15%, which is why you'll have noticed it's creeped up to 20% in the past several years. That's why. So you're telling me that restaurants now sort of, I mean, report tips. <laughs> and so, so I, I didn't know tipping was sort of a classification of revenue that yep. had to be reported to the IRS and that you get taxed yep. on. That's kind of mind-blowing. I always thought that was just, you know, under the table. You know what I mean? No, under the table. Under the table? What are you suggesting? What do you mean under the table? What are you saying? Maybe I'm the one who should be protecting you. What do you, what do you, what do you mean under the table? Nothing's under the table. It's all above board. Everything's open. I just mean friendly. Transparency. <laughs> are you just Expand the conversation. Uh, diversity and equity and stuff like that. Diversity and equity? Pay up. Talk to me about diversity and equity. They're wonderful. <laughs> They're the only reason anyone should ever live. Okay. Don't let them hurt me again. Okay. I won't. Um, so, wow. So, they are straight up getting taxed on 50. So, they're basically getting... So of the fifteen percent, assuming a you know a thirty three percent tax rate or something like that, so so they're really just netting ten percent. Yeah, basically. pretty much. Yeah. What about like, but you know, like it's more complicated, as Vonday Radio said. Um, you know, it's become more exaggerated in recent years. Um, well, because it's like beca it's become more exaggerated in recent years because it's become enshrined in the tax structure. Before, I mean, I can remember when. Tips were actually quite small. And I don't know when it became a big deal for the tax man. But from that time on, it's just, as I say, if you pay less than 20%, they're losing money. Okay, I mean, so, sorry, less than 15%. I mean, but doesn't that depend on the nature of the transaction? I mean, if you're dealing in cash... I mean, they're uh, not know, depositing uh, the cash in the bank. That's petty cash. No, but the the uh, obviously every time you pay a bill, it's recorded. Every time you pay a uh, uh, every time you pay the restaurant, it is recorded. I I don't think restaurants are that granular because you'd have to report it based on weight because you'd have to create a database. And you, you, your accounting would require. I, I, don't mean, I, I don't mean they follow the. I don't mean they follow the tips per se. They follow the. They follow the amount of the bill. In other words, uh, your your uh, bill oh, is thirty five bucks for a single restaurant. So you're saying for yeah. a single restaurant? Okay. They they they've got they've got records on every on every transaction. 
so Bobby is always listed as waiter X. And Bobby gave you a bill for $35. Well, you let's say you only put 35 uh, you only paid for the bill on your card, and you gave him uh, cash for the tip. Yeah. They will presume you gave him 15%, and he will be taxed accordingly. I still don't believe it. I still don't believe he's individually taxed because that's contingent on the restaurant measuring um, exactly his workload in terms of how, which tables he gets what revenue from. And I feel like like Petrillo's or whatever, there's no way. Um, maybe some of these corporate outfits, but um, I don't know. Anyhow, it's okay. Listen carefully. I... This is for the IRS. Tips are discretionary, optional, or extra payments determined by a customer that employees receive from customers. Tips include cash tips received directly from customers, tips from customers, uh, uh, the value of any non-cash tips, such as tickets or items of value, tip amounts received from other employees paid out through tip pools, tip splitting, or other informal informal tip sharing arrangements. All cash and non-cash tips are received by an employee or income and are subject to federal income taxes. All cash tips received by an employee in any calendar month are subject to Social Security and uh, Medicare taxes and must be reported to the employer. If the total tips received by the employee during a single calendar month by a single employer are less than $20, then these tips are not required to be reported and taxes are not required to be withheld. Okay, uh, I, I get it then. Okay, so the restaurant isn't the, tracking the waiter's tips. The waiter's straight up reporting to the restaurant how much they took in in tips. I get it. Well, there's more. Uh, employee responsibilities. As an employee who receives tips, you must do three things. <clears throat> One, keep a daily tip record. Two, report tips to the employer unless the total is less than $20 per month per employer. And three, report all tips on an individual income tax return. Okay. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Got to get every penny they can. And it's the least that we can do for them. The other thing that I felt like that was helping exaggerate the tips, the tipping culture, quote unquote, is um, these, uh, like, I, I shop small business a lot. I, I try to do it a lot, and so there's something against chains. Uh, there's um, sort of you know, so a, there's a very popular like touchpad where, um, and at the end they always ask, "Are do you, you know do you want a tip?" And it's for you know, it's like tipping like a McDonald's person if you're going to McDonald's and ordering some food and tipping twenty percent for that. Like it's weird to me. Where you go to perhaps an ice cream parlor, they just they spend two minutes or you know two three minutes putting your thing together, and I don't know. It seems unusual to me. Was it always like that? Tipping for not for everything. I remember, for instance, you didn't used to tip for cafeterias and buffets. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I have a random question for you. Are you are you nostalgic over the Sizzler? 
Is that yeah. an old timey? Is that a old, little old timey kind of classic style restaurant? That uh, I wouldn't go that far, but my dad liked Sizzler. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. So I'd go. I'd go to Sizzler with my dad. He was the only person I ever went to Sizzler with, but he liked it, so I'd go. Ah. Okay. Um, and I'm always nostalgic for Norms. Oh, there you go. Okay. There you go. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, I've been doing these things for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. When I go to see Terry Barber, you know where we always go to lunch? Where? Norms. <laughs> he likes it too? He does too. And if that weren't bad enough, Norms always gives soup and salad. That's so much food. How could you do that? Well, I'll show you. I don't like that because the time by the time you get to the meal, you don't even want to eat the meal. Oh, that's never a problem for me. I assure you. They should do it like Italian culture, where you serve the salad at the end. Like, okay, who cares? Yeah, yeah they do soup, salad, entree, dessert. Okay. Wow. And the entree for me is always steak. And the soup, you know what I have there is their gumbo. The gumbo, that's very you. Yeah. Not every Norms has gumbo, but the one in uh, the one in Covina does. So. Okay. All right. Um, one last question for this right. Advent season um, on this episode. Uh, Blake says, Dear Charles and Vinny, could you please talk about the history of your favorite Advent hymns and Christmas carols? Particularly, what do you think about the Jacobite connection to O Come All Ye Faithful? Ooh. You know, I had never heard of that before this question. So I have to admit, I looked it up. Interesting stuff. Apparently, uh, in the 1720s, when the English version of Adeste Fidelis, uh, apparently the Latin version was written, it was alluding to the birth of Bonnie Prince Charlie in 1720. Now that's the claim. If it's true, it's very interesting. If it isn't true, it's also interesting. But it's interesting. I do love Adeste Fidelis, though, very much. I love um, O Holy Night, uh, the more so because my dad would sing it in French, Maui Chrétien, every uh, every Christmas Eve, you know, over there by the tree. Uh, oh, uh well, of course, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Vini, Vini, Emmanuel. Uh, yeah. It's an advent hymn, but I love that. I love it's, that. it's haunting. It, it is haunting. I love that at like midnight mass or something. It's just like, I don't know. It evokes it, something. It does. It's it's very powerful. Uh, it came upon the midnight clear. I love the tune, and I always get amused by the fact that it's a Unitarian hymn that doesn't really say anything. But I do love the tune. Good King Venceslaus. So. I love that. Yep. I love the Boar's Head Carol. Mm. Uh, I love, uh, uh, what is it? The uh, What Child Is This? Mm-hmm. Because I love the tune of Greensleeves, but I also love the words. And of course, God rest you very gentlemen, I'm very fond of. Oh, yes. It's uh, you know I was uh, listening to that. I did not like the Nat King Cole version of that. You listened to it. I don't know. Do you like Nat King Cole's version of some of these songs? It's kind of yeah. like a yeah. It's a lighter version. It's a lighter version. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the Holly and the Ivy is another one I'm very fond of. Hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, last Christmas, I blew out my brains. Is no. What? You're no? doing so well. You're doing All so right. well. Just okay. So you don't want that one. Yeah, not that one. Rocking around the Christmas tree. That's okay. That was actually a song in Home Alone, so that's kind of quasi acceptable. Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. By Burl Ives, yes. Yeah. Frosty <laughs> Snowman. Yes, by Burl Ives, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, up, I, up on the rooftop. Oh, up, up on the yeah. Rooftop. Yep. Great, great. That's uh, Santa one. Claus is coming to town. Yeah, sure, absolutely. One song that always sticks in my head, it sort of gets there and it stays there every Advent season is Ding Dong Merrily on High. It's That's just, quite nice. That sticks with me and I can never get it out. And then I love Carol of the Bells where it's, um, yeah. It's, no, it, it, oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, you hit it. That's it. Well, you, you heard that uh, in the Mass of St. The Midnight Mass of St. Peter's this year. The processional hymn is going to be Santa Baby. Charles. What? Be good. <laughs> About what? The, um, I don't know if YouTube would actually <laughs> reprimand you for that. I don't know how YouTube would oh, feel. Oh, now Santa Baby is forbidden just because no. the Pope likes it? That is misinformation. I, what, you say the Pope hates it? I, I, you know, I wonder if you ask the Pope on one of his things what he thinks of Santa Baby, I wonder what he would say. I don't know. Maybe he would sing it to the Chinese ambassador. You know, as an icebreaker, kind of like. As an icebreaker? Yeah, you know, Santa Baby. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could see the Holy Father singing. I don't I don't want to see that. I'm glad that's nice that you can see, but let's leave it at that, shall we? (laughs) All right. I'm just saying, you know, I I think we're living in a time where we need to break down all the barriers. See, if you want to accompany people in a non judgmental way, you've got to come with them where they are. And if where they are is Santa Baby, what you know, who am I to judge? We don't know if the Okay. You're you're defining people <laughs> against their will. I'm not defining anyone. I'm accepting everyone for being whatever they want to be. If the Holy Father likes Santa Baby, I'm all for it. Okay, if. Well, yeah, he hasn't discussed <laughs> it with me. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like it. And that's good, too. I defend the Holy Father's right to choose. Whoa, that sounds really weird. What? <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I hear right to choose, I my mind goes a different direction. Well, all I'm saying is, if he wants, if he wants to have Santa Baby at the uh, at the midnight mass at St. Peter's, I'm all for it. If he doesn't, I'm all for that too. Okay. Okay, that's good. Um, all we want is uh, your unconditional acceptance. Precisely, uh, and the canonization of Eartha Kitt. What? A what? canonization of who? Eartha Kitt. Who is that? She was the original singer of Santa Baby. Why why would you say such such an absurd thing? Absurd? 
absurd. You know, let me tell you something. Part of cancel culture is attacking great figures like Eartha Kitt and accusing them of singing songs like Baby It's Cold Outside, All right, which you know she'd what? never sang. You know what? All right, let's say you were the representative uh, making the case for her canonization. You have uh, 20 seconds to do it. State the facts of her life that promote this cause. Go. Uh, she sang uh, Santa Baby. That's literally you. You literally know nothing else about this woman. No, I know a lot of other things. Just the, just the only thing I'm going to bring up for I can't. I can't think of anything else that they would want to hear about in Rome. So we'll just go with she came up with Santa Baby, an okay. enduring part of our American Christmas tradition. Okay, we'll see how that goes. What about Dean Martin and uh, Baby? It's cold outside. Yeah, you know, I like that. I, you know, I, I never understood the sort of um, be careful the, the drama. Be careful! Oh, you're trying to trap me, aren't you? No, I'm trying to keep you safe from them who must be obeyed. Okay, well, clearly that guy was um, being was displaying toxic masculinity. Very good. There we go. <laughs> Ooh, toxic masculinity for Christmas. There we go. <laughs> Wrapped up under the tree. Oh, look, it's toxic masculinity, Mom and Dad. That's right, son. Now, you can be just like your dear old dad. <laughs> toxic masculinity, son. This Christmas, give the gift of toxic masculinity. <laughs> What? All right. Um, well, we want to go back to Christmas carols. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, if, if there's gra- any more. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. No. No. Okay. Oh, don't help me. I, I work best without a net. Hold on. Um, I can do this. I can do this. Uh. uh uh, the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Oh, right. Um, you know what's it's one the- that, that I always think of you whenever I hear it now? It's, um, oh, Andy, Win- Andy Williams sings it. Um, but you look a lot like Christmas. No, it, it it's the one, uh, there'll be scary ghost stories. Whenever he's, oh, he sings. Oh, yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, and whenever he says that, like, because I never actually thought about that line until you kind of unpacked that song and, like, highlighted that, that this is what people used to do. Yeah. Um, there'll, be, there'll, be, uh, there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. And that... All kidding aside, just for a moment, and with the permission of our kind masters, um, it really is the most wonderful time of the year. When, uh, uh, and the second, the the familial and the the public, the past, the present, and the future all come together. And when the whole world, even despite itself, even when it's trying to yap holiday, the whole world has to stop and for a few weeks 
consciously or not, acknowledge the birth of Christ. And all, all the different Christian peoples around the globe observe it with their own customs and their own ways, all hailing the birth of the King of Kings, despite everything. Even World War I with the, the, uh, the terrible things that were going on, the Christmas truces of 1914 and 15, uh, the, the manifold ways that people have kept Christmas despite terrible, terrible circumstances, whether war, the, the Depression, or the Black Plague. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Christmas will always out. And I thank God for it. I mean, obviously for the incarnation, which is the result of the reason for it, obviously. But I mean, I thank him for everything else that goes with it. You know, there's a poem by Sir John Betjeman, I think of a lot this time of year, that puts these things together rather nicely, I think. Uh, you know, and it's uh, a good. Hmm? I'll Sorry? just talk while you're doing your little researching. Um, sure. You know, one of the cool things that sort of kind of in my Advent med meditations that I have come across is the um, the differing purposes of music and music we listen to. Most popular music and rock and country or whatever, whatever you listen to. You know, it's kind of trivial uh, purposes in a sense, right? Talking about heartbreak, talking about love, this and that. It's, um, you know, per uh, it's a personal story. Um, but the cool thing about Christmas to me and Christmas carols is like, those are the songs that matter. Like that's like of anything, like if you think of like things bards used to sing about, like historic tales that will live on for centuries, right? Like these are, these are the, uh, this is the ultimate thing the ultimate for there to reality. be song, the ultimate reality for there to be a song on compared yeah. to all that other stuff, which, which, and then the other stuff is fine, but this, this, this is, is the it. real deal. Yeah. This, this is the poem. Uh, Christmas by Sir John Betjeman. And bear in mind it's set in England because he was, well, English. The bells of waiting advent ring. The tortoise stove is lit again. And lamp oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain in many a stained glass window sheen from Crimson Lake to Hooker's Green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house the yew will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, the altar, font, and arch, and pew, so that the villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, corporation tramcars clang, on lighted tenements I gaze, where paper decorations hang, and bunting in the red town hall says, Merry Christmas to you all. At London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers, as hurrying clocks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers, and marble clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. And girls in slacks remember Dad, and oafish louts remember Mum, and sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas morning bells say, Come, even to shining ones who dwell safe in the Dorchester Hotel. 
And is it true, this most tremendous tale of all, seen in stained glass windows you, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea, become a child on earth for me? And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent and hideous ties so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. You know, I remember that poem because you had it in a book, and I remember how you described it. You said it's perhaps the most sublime thing you've words you've you've ever read. What no. book? What, what what book did you put that in? I can't. I remember. don't remember. Okay, I don't recall. I remember. I remember talking about. It. I don't remember which one, but it's certainly what I love the way about the, the thing about it is that it it hits all the notes. And then takes us back down to the course without without the incarnation, no transubstantiation. But transubstantiation daily reminds us of the incarnation, which daily reminds us of Christmas. And so, um, as one uh, one writer put it, we don't we really should shouldn't say uh, the Christmas was. Christmas is. Now and ever shall be. And despite all the guff that we all have to put up with, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't mean any any guff reflecting on our masters, of course, but the difficulties that we all face these days, the problems, the this, the that, for 2,033 years, it's been the same. But, in that time, since Christ came, it's all been different. And if if Christmas can work its magic in us this year, can form us more and more to him and make our own personal trip to paradise like that, then Christmas will have done its, done its work for this year. Hmm. All right. That will do it for this episode. So I have a question for you, Charles. What is it if it's Monday? Am I allowed to say? Yes. Off the menu. What about the soul you save? Will they hurt me? No. It may be your own. <laughs> See you be next careful. time, guys. Be watchful, citizens. Don't do anything to annoy our owners. They've got their eye on you, remember. God bless you. God bless you. Merry Christmas.